0: Well, how's everybody doing? Good, good. It's good to see y'all. Proverbs chapter 10. If you want to go ahead and open up there, that's where we'll be this morning. Now, would y'all agree, and of course, what else are you going to say to this? I think there's only one answer you'd be so bold to give, but would y'all agree there's a lot to be grateful for when it comes to God? Of course, of course. But here's one of the things I'm most grateful for. I'm most grateful for, and when you think about what the word of God is, it's God showing us how we're supposed to live. And that's really a remarkable thing. You, you take things for granted in life when they're just something that you normally have access to, right? I mean, think about food and water. Like, would you agree? You probably take food and water pretty for granted in life, right? But trust me, there's places in this world People who wouldn't take food and water for granted because it's hard to get or it's just not something that you're guaranteed. And really when you think about God and you look at other religions throughout world history and um, pagan religions even today throughout world history, very often they're trying to figure out what their God wants them to do. Or like something bad happens and they think, oh, maybe God's mad at us. How can we make God happy? And so they're trying these different things. They don't really know their God. Their God doesn't really reveal themselves himself or itself or whatever to them. And so they're always like, what does God want? Who is God? We don't have that. Like God has given us the Bible so that he can clearly show us who he is, how we can be made right with him through Jesus Christ, and then also just how we should live every single day. And because it's something that we always have access to, I think we take it for granted and we don't um, treasure the Bible for what it is. Like first of all, just from an eternal perspective, the gospel is very clear throughout the Bible. We are all sinners, every one of us. We all make ourselves enemies of God, but through Jesus Christ, he's given us a path to reconciliation through faith in Christ that he died for our sins on the cross so that we can be reconciled to him. We can have fellowship with God. While the rest of the Pagan religions throughout human history are trying to figure out, okay, maybe we sacrifice this or maybe we do this. How can we appease an angry God? We don't have to run around around doing that because God tells us very clearly. But it's not just from an eternal perspective. It's also just from a day-to-day life perspective. God tells us how he wants us to live in our day-to-day lives. He tells us who we are. like He tells us about ourselves. He tells us who he is. He tells us how we should act in certain situations. And I know it's probably a pretty obvious answer, but when you think of wisdom for the day-to-day life, what's the first place in the Bible that your mind thinks of? Proverbs. Proverbs is the place we go when we talk about day-to-day wisdom. Now, it's something that the adults have been studying. Um, And so Mr. Scarborough, he taught week one of their Proverbs study and then Dr. Morris taught week two and this is sort of the third lesson from that series that the adults have been going through with Proverbs. And the theme of Proverbs is wisdom for the details of life. Wisdom for the details of life. And a key thing to realize is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to live wisely. You have been called to live wisely. And there's two reasons for this. One reason I'm trying to think of what order. I'll give you the most important reason first. The most important reason is because it glorifies God. Like that's always the most important reason. It glorifies God um, when you live wisely. Foolish living does not bring glory to God. It does not glorify God in this world. A second reason that God, if you're a follower of Christ, God wants you to live wisely is because it is for your own good. It is for your own good and God loves you. Like, God wants you, I think we forget this all the time, God does care about your well-being. God does want you to enjoy life. I think we forget that. But like, I mean, Paul told, geez, I get Timothy and Thessalonians mixed up all the time because of the similar letters in the name. I think it's Timothy, though. He tells Timothy, like, hey, those who are rich in this world tell them not to be boastful about their riches or to fix their hope on their riches. Instead, fix their hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Like Paul wrote that to Timothy or the Thessalonians. Um, but it's, it's throughout. Like God does want us to have joyful lives, peaceful lives, healthy, good lives. And it's through wise living that we have that. Foolish, sinful living, it just brings destruction. You want a lot of destruction in your life? You want a lot of hurt and harm in your life? Live like a fool. Sin brings destruction. Sin brings destruction from the eternal perspective if you don't repent, but even from a day-to-day life perspective. You ignore the wisdom that God gives on how to live, you're just going to expect trouble. And God loves you too much for that. That's why he makes it clear to us, here's how I want you to live. In in studying with the adults, Mr. Scarborough taught week one, and he taught the foundational principle that it starts with the gospel. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, that's just obedience to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it starts with the gospel. If you don't know Christ, then you're missing the biggest piece of wisdom there is, right? Like, I think it's Colossians 2, 23 says, or no, 3, 2. I'm sorry, guys. I I found out at like 6 a.m., so my notes aren't all there. Um, But where in Colossians it says, in Christ, I think it's Colossians 3, 2, or 2, 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it starts with knowing Jesus Christ. It starts with the gospel. But, dr morris talked about in week two that faith that trust in christ carries over just a um, day-to-day life right like how often does the world call the wisdom of god crazy and foolish pretty often right like the world's going to look at god's wisdom and god's standards pretty often and say that's foolishness so who are you going to trust you're going to trust god or are you going to trust the wisdom of the world But sometimes, won't even your own thoughts tell you that, hey, I know God says to do this, but my own thoughts say to do this. Does that happen to y'all sometimes? Temptation, right? Like, you're tempted to not live how God called you to live. Your own thoughts can sometimes cause you to question God, and that's just Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Are you going to trust God in how he says to live your life? So Proverbs 1 through 9 are really kind of um, foundational principle chapters on wisdom, right? Chapter 10, which is the passage I was given, is where there's a bit of a shift. There's a bit of a shift from these foundational principles to Proverbs chapter 10. We just start to get a collection of wisdom sayings from Solomon. King Solomon. In 1 Kings 3, Solomon's taken over the kingdom from David, his father. And could you imagine that being pretty intimidating for God to be like, okay, hey, here's my nation and my people. You're in charge now. That'd probably freak you out, right? And so Solomon's pretty freaked out by that heavy level of responsibility. And God shows up one night and says, "All right, Solomon, you're in charge of this kingdom now. What do you want? And Solomon says, give me wisdom. Like, give me wisdom to know how to do this. And that answer pleased God. God said, hey, I'm, I'm very pleased. You didn't ask for something selfish, like a long, healthy life. You didn't ask for something selfish and evil, like, hey, revenge on all my enemies. You asked for wisdom. That pleased God. And God said, you want wisdom? I'm going to give you wisdom. And so Solomon, next to Jesus Christ, the wisest human that ever lived, So when we look at Proverbs, we're looking at a collection of his sayings. And when you read Proverbs chapter 10, Chris Teagle's like, hey, Brandon, teach Proverbs chapter 10. There's no like organization to it. There's no pattern to it. There's no structure to it. It is really just a collection of wise sayings from Solomon. And so the big question is, how do you teach Proverbs 10? I have no idea. So here's what I did. I said, you know, I'm just going to draw out from here like four principles that I want to highlight. Like four principles. And treat this as almost like when you go to Costco and there's a bunch of samples everywhere. This is like shopping Costco and just taking in some samples. And thinking, huh, okay, based on these samples, what else do I, what do I really want to get into? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Just take a sample of some of the wisdom from Proverbs chapter 10. Kind of like an appetizer. See some big principles. With the ultimate goal, here's the ultimate goal, though, for you to realize the kind of wisdom that Proverbs has for you. And as a young person, where can you go to get the wisdom that will be foundational for the rest of your life? Like, you need to be soaking in Proverbs every single day in some shape or form. People take different approaches. How many Proverbs are there? Anybody know? Somebody said 30? Ultra close. 30 plus 1. 31. There's 31. So some people take the approach of, well, m- there's like 30 to 31 days in the, or, yeah, days in the month. So I'm just going to, whatever day it is, I'm just going to read that Proverbs. So today is January 27th, or is it the 28th? The 28th, I'm just going to read Proverbs 28 today. That's a great approach. Some people just read one whole proverb a day based on whatever day of the month it is, and I guess 31 you get half the months. Whatever. That's good. What I personally like to do is every day just read like three verses from Proverbs. Not a whole proverb, just three verses to really take in and absorb. I don't care how you do it as long as you make Proverbs and the wisdom it has a cornerstone of your life. And so, Today, we're just going to look at a sampling here. And Proverbs, well, there's your first point, but the theme here is wise living is obedient living. Wise living is obedient living. And I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that throughout Proverbs chapter 10, the wise person is called righteous. And the unwise person is called sinful or wicked. And I think that's interesting because so often when we think of wisdom, I think we think of suggestions, like good ideas, you know? Like if somebody's, somebody gives you, hey, this diet, you want to be healthy? Here's a good diet, something you should eat. Like we kind of hear that as like a suggestion, right? Like, oh, okay, yeah, you look pretty healthy. That sounds wise. But we don't call it sinful or wicked if you reject that, right? Or like career planning. Can you get wisdom from people as a young person? Like, hey, here's what I want to do when I get older. Some wisdom there? Sure. But like, we're not going to you, call you righteous or wicked based on what you do with that. So when we think of wisdom, I think a lot of times we think of good advice. And, you know, it could be good advice to take it. It could be okay to reject it. Who knows? We don't think of it, though, in terms of right and wrong, righteousness and wickedness. But when we look at Proverbs... These aren't suggestions. These are God telling you, here's how you obediently live in these areas. When it comes to how you work at Chick-fil-A or at whatever job you have in middle school and high school, God has a lot to say about that. When it comes to like our work day coming up in March, God has a lot to say about that. When it comes to just how you interact in relationships and stuff, God has a lot to say about that. And this isn't wisdom like, oh, yeah, that could be a good idea or a bad idea. This is obedient to God living that we're looking at in Proverbs. And, and um, to live in it, the Bible calls you righteous. To reject it, calls you, causes, he calls you wicked. So the first principle that I think is interesting here because it shows you just how practical and applicable the wisdom is The righteous, the wise, they glorify God in their work. They glorify God in their work. Isn't that, and and you might not have a paying job right now, but do you have school? Yeah, you have school. Do you have chores that your parents ask you to take care of? Yeah, you do. Sometimes you help people in church. Sometimes you serve in church. You're involved in extracurriculars and athletics what I put is work here that applies to anything God has brought in your life to do anything that God has brought in your life to do so look at what God would say and just it shows you how applicable this is about how you approach school work athletics whatever God has given you to do in life if this is Proverbs chapter 10, we'll just look at verses two to five. "Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but He will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a son who acts wisely. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Now, what he's talking about here largely applies to your work as an adult, like what you do to earn a living and provide food for yourselves. But hopefully you very easily and quickly connect how this applies to everything that you do in life. If you want to be successful at whatever you do, God is saying, do it faithfully, diligently, with integrity and hard work. You want to prosper in school? Work hard, diligently, and faithfully. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't be negligent. You want to be bad at whatever you do? Do it negligently. Do it carelessly. The Bible shows us here, and this applies to everything in life, but he is speaking mostly about career type stuff. But it it shows that security, well-being, the life of righteousness brings that about through faithful, diligent, hard work. Now you might stop and say, wait a second, I thought God provided everything for us, you know? I thought God said, hey, I'm gonna provide for you the food you need, I'm gonna provide for you the success you need, and yes, you are correct. God ultimately is the source of all that, and don't ever lose sight of that. Like, if you're good at athletics, I mean, don't be so foolish as to think God didn't allow you and make you good at athletics. And don't be so foolish as to think that God couldn't take that away in a very instant, very easily, right? Or if you're good at school, Like, who gave you that academic ability? God? Like, don't think for a second that he couldn't take it away in an instant. Or if you're talented with drawing, or, I mean, you name it, right? God is the ultimate source of everything. And so even as you get older and you work hard and you provide for your family, you never lose sight of God being the ultimate provider, but the typical way that God brings about success in life achievement in life your provision in life the typical way god is going to do that is through diligent hard work okay now he can do it through any means can god provide for you through any means he wants absolutely he can do it like other people's generosity I don't know, maybe you got, like, some rich uncle you've never heard of, and, like, all of a sudden somebody shows up with a million-dollar check you inherited. I mean, God can do anything he wants, right? But the ultimate way that, that, or the way that he most typically does that is through diligent hard work. And as you go through school, athletics, your jobs, whatever the case may be, your chores at home, what your parents ask you to do, and there's hard work involved, don't be afraid of that. Hard work is not a bad thing. In fact, work is a good thing. Work is absolutely a good thing. When did work come into the Bible? Who knows that? In the garden. Yeah, what chapters? Genesis 1 and 2, right? Absolutely. Work comes into the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. When does sin come into the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3. Work existed in the perfect garden of Eden before sin entered into the picture, okay? When God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2, God said, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to cultivate the earth. I want you to work. Work is a good thing. And have you all felt the accomplishment that comes from good, diligent, hard work? Absolutely. In any endeavor, whether it's an artistic accomplishment, an academic accomplishment, an athletic accomplishment, or a paycheck, it feels good when God has given you a task to do, you faithfully apply yourself to it, and you see the outcome of that. Now, are there often difficulties along the way? Yeah, for sure. Work often does get difficult in laboring, and strenuous, that's where Genesis chapter 3 comes in. There, we live in a sinful, fallen world, and so very often work is not going to go the way you want it to go. And work is going to be difficult. Um, Genesis chapter 3, sin comes in. God had already told Adam, like, hey, I want you to cultivate the earth and build this up and, and live off of it through hard work. And then because of their sin, Genesis chapter 3 said, that God curses the ground and from that point forward by Adam's like the work that Adam would do would become strenuous and burdensome and toilsome the work part is still good but sin just like everything pollutes our work but we can, we have to see work is a good thing God is a worker right God creates God sustains when you, by being made in the image of God and being an imitator of God, one of the ways, many ways you do that, but one of the ways is through hard work. I'm going to give you a few passages here. We won't go to them right now, but you can write them down and go read them. Ephesians chapter 6. I think you've probably had Ephesians 6.1 quoted at you a few times by your parents. Children, obey your parents. That's 6.1. You've probably heard that. But go a few verses down from there, and it talks about, hey, like slaves, be obedient to your masters. Work for them, not just for them, but for the purpose of honoring your father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Like don't be a complainer, don't be a whiner, apply yourself to hard work. And the reason Paul says there, one of the reasons is because in doing so, You're going to shine as a bright light, a breath of fresh air in this world. Do people complain a lot? Do you hear people complaining a lot? Yeah. People complain a whole lot, all right? And when you go to work, people are going to complain a whole lot. When you go to practice, people complain a whole lot. When you go to school, people complain a whole lot. When you aren't a complainer like everybody else, but instead diligent work without grumbling and complaining, you're going to get attention. Like, your boss is going to be like, hmm, you're a breath of fresh air. Your coach, your teacher is going to be like, wow, you are a breath of fresh air. I love interacting with you because you're not like everybody else, grumbling and complaining. Paul puts it to the Philippians, you're a bright light in the midst of a dark world. And as a follower of Christ, an ambassador of his in this world, that is exactly what you are to be. That glorifies your Father. Colossians 3.23 also just says, um, do your work with all diligence because it glorifies God. God cares very much about how you work. The second principle here, principle chapter two, or principle two, the righteous treasure, treasure truth. The righteous righteous treasure truth. Let's read verses 8 to 10 and then verse 14. It says, The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. And then in verse 14, Wise men store up knowledge But with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. You look at verse 8, there's a contrast here. The wise in heart will receive commands, but the babbling fool will be ruined. Um, He's given a contrast here between one person who is wise and wants to hear commands. They want truth. They treasure truth. On the other hand, you got the babbling fool, like somebody who just can't get over themselves They're very interested in themselves. You know people who are very interested in themselves? They find themselves fascinating. And they can't get enough out of themselves to hear anything anybody else has to say. So they talk all the time. You can't get any words with them because all they do is talk. They're babbling fools. The wise in heart receive commands. The wise, the righteous... They want to know, what does God say? Questions arise in life. Issues arise in life. Things arise. Their first initial reaction is, what does God say about this? A circumstance comes up they have to deal with. How does God want me to handle this circumstance? What does God say? They look for wise counsel from others. That's a big part of Proverbs. Seek wisdom. Proverbs 11, 14, Where there is no guidance the people fall but in abundance of counselors there's victory what do you do with that as a young person look for wise people to take advice from get to know people who are older than you who are at further stages in life and you're like you look at them and you think okay here's somebody when they're they're 30 years old when i'm 30 years old i'd like to be like that person learn from them talk to them get their wisdom even if it's just 10 years old, you know what I'm saying? Just find people who are further along in life that can share wisdom with you. And the ultimate aim here is not just to get wisdom from another person. You know, It's like not like, oh, I want to know what this, I, I want to I, I hear this person's view. No, the aim is for them to help you just see more clearly what God says. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge. God's word is the foundational truth that all knowledge is built from. Now, does that mean that we never look for any information outside of the Bible? Like, is it good to learn math? For sure. Is it good to learn history, science, astronomy, anatomy and physiology, chemistry? Oh, it's good. It's good to know something. You don't want to be dumb. Right? Like being dumb is never a good thing, all right? Knowledge is a good thing. Like, pursue knowledge. But guess what? God's truth is the foundation that we build all that other knowledge on. So, like, when you go to study chemistry, and you should, or when you go to study music or math or whatever, you should. But you look at it through the lens of God's truth, remembering back to Colossians 2 3 or 3 2. Um, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wise, if you're wise, you're going to want knowledge from others even when it's uncomfortable. Do people sometimes have to tell you uncomfortable truths? Sure. Your parents often have to give you truth that's not comfortable for you to hear. Good friends are often going to have to tell you stuff that's not comfortable for you to hear. Proverbs 9, 8-9, to talks about how wise people will respond to this. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. How do you respond when people tell you something that you don't want to hear? And they're doing it out of love. They're doing it out of love. How do you respond? Are you humble enough to hear that and think, you know, I don't like hearing that I'm rude. I don't like hearing that I'm arrogant. I don't like hearing that I'm conceited. But they're right. I should change, right? Like, how do you respond when people lovingly correct you and point out your flaws? If you accept it, repent, and change, the Bible will call you wise. If you reject it and say, eh, Forget them. They're jerks. The Bible would call you a fool. And here's what happens when you reject instruction, when you reject wisdom, it brings ruin. Look look at verse 8. A babbling fool will be ruined. Verse 14, the second half. The mouth of the foolish, for the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Look, you can't just reject the wisdom of God and live in immunity. God's telling you these things because there is serious consequence to rejecting them. There's temporal consequences. Well, let's start with the eternal, right? Are there eternal consequences if you continue in rejection of God? Absolutely, because if you continue in rejection of God's truth, ultimately you're going to be rejecting the gospel which is your only opportunity for salvation. So re- continual rejection of God's truth has eternal consequences in the damnation of your soul. But even in the temporal sense, in your day-to-day lives, you reject the wisdom of God to your own peril. What Proverbs makes so clear to us, and this isn't just Proverbs, it spills over into all the Bible, is that to reject the wisdom of God is to reject your own peril well-being. Both 8 and 14 tell us that the future of someone who rejects God's wisdom is ruin. And think about it. It makes sense, right? Like, what's an area of life that's important to you? Just throw one at me. I don't care. Any area of life that's important to you as a young person. Friends. Friends! Absolutely! Friends are important. God created us as relational beings. Now, does God, who created friendship in relationships? God. You think God knows something about how relationships should work? God knows something, right? God knows how his creation works. And so, do you think it'd be wise to listen to what God has to say about friendships? For sure. And does he say a lot about relationships and friendships? Man, he says a whole lot. We'll even see some of it here in a minute. God says a lot about. So here you have, like, okay, let's say your car was broken. And, like, it, it, it's just, you can't figure out what's wrong with it. And we've got an engineer from Toyota here who designed. The toy, not, I'm not pointing at him. I'm pointing at an imaginary person here. Design the Toyota Tundra that you're driving. They know it in and out. They're the creator of that Toyota Tundra. Avery's right here as well. She'll give her opinion. Whose opinion you want to go to for how to fix your Toyota Tundra? Avery? Who's awesome? I mean, Avery's great in so many ways, but I don't know about her Toyota Tundra knowledge. Or... The person who has like led the design of the Toyota Tundra project. Who are you going to go to? The imaginary. the imaginary. You're going to go to Avery and your car will be broken down forever. But the wise people in this section here, they're going to the Toyota Tundra creator. It's just, I mean, they, that's what we've got essentially, right? Like God created this universe. So your friendships, God created friendship and relationship. Down the road when you get to marriage, God created marriage. Work, God created work. Whatever the case may be, God created all things. So it makes sense that he is the one we should go to for wisdom and how to live in these things. And to reject him leads to ruin and destruction. Our third principle here. The righteous have a secure path. And I think you can probably garner a lot of this or come to this conclusion from what we've already talked about. Do you want a life of well being that's not full of destruction and turmoil and trouble? Follow God's wisdom. The righteous, righteous, righteousness is a path to security and well being. Look at the verses we read, just the verse 9 that we read. He who walks in integrity. Walk securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. So we talked last principle about just the righteous valuing truth, valuing God's commands. What we see here in verse 9 is not only like they're not just hearing God's commands and taking it in, but they're putting it into practice. It's a life of integrity. It's a life of putting God's truth and principles into practice. And when you live a life of integrity, that is a life that can stand up to inspection. That is a life that can stand up to an adversity. If your life is built on lies, it's a house of cards. Like at some point, your lies will be found out, your Hi- hypocritical way of living will come to the surface and it all falls apart your lies and your your dishonesty will find you out are there not countless examples of this in life countless you know um, in your personal life undoubtedly you can think of examples even very famous examples like I, like I don't know when uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa when i was in high school like they were having the home run competition throughout the season it was like the biggest deal it's like wow these, these guys just hit home runs nonstop. and like how many how much do y'all hear about them now like are they like are y'all familiar with them that familiar with sammy sosa and Mark Require. Like, yeah. Well, it's because they were doing steroids and cheating. And once that came to the surface, it was like everybody. Lance Armstrong is another one, right? Like Lance Armstrong, like won all the Tour de Frances, and everybody's like, "Oh wow, he's the most amazing athlete ever." And then it came out he was cheating. Millie Vanilli. When I was in second grade, Millie Vanilli was like the hottest group out there, man. Everybody was into Millie Vanilli. And then it turned out they were lip-syncing and everything, and everybody forgot about them next week, right? Like whatever your lack of integrity is, it'll find you out. It'll find you out. It happens in the business world, like with like people like, oh, this is the best company ever. This is this thing. What was the name of that company? Theranos? Theranos. Theratos, something like that. Have, have any of y'all heard of it? Of course you haven't because it ended up being a complete fraud and the lady's in jail now. And nobody, but everybody was super excited about it for a few years. It was like this idea that like you can prick your finger and like get this little drop of blood and take it to CVS and CVS can tell you everything about your health and like how long you're going to live. Seemed like a pretty awesome idea. It was just all a lie. And so the lady's in jail now and none of you have ever heard of it when you live a life, uh, lies are impossible to keep up, aren't they? Like, don't, we've all, if we're honest and not lying, have lied before, right? Like, and when you put yourself into a position of lying, you realize, oh man, I don't know if I can keep this up. Like, you start thinking like, oh, I gotta keep straight, what am I telling mom? What am I telling dad? Or like, what if they find that text or that note? Geez, okay, now I got to hide that. Like, you, you can't keep a lie up. Maybe you can do it for a little while. Maybe you're really good at it. But I promise you, at some point, if you're living a lie, if you're living with a lack of integrity, you will be found out. That's what Proverbs 9 is, 10 9 is saying. He who walks in integrity walks securely. When you're living in integrity, do you have to worry about all that? Like, do you have to worry if you're living a life of integrity? Like, oh, no, I hope my mom doesn't find that text. Do you have to worry about that? No, let mom find your text. Let mom read through it. I don't care. Or when you're living a life of integrity, do you have to figure out, like, okay, what did I tell this person, and what did I tell this person, and how do I synthesize what I'm telling? No, you just live. When you're living a life of truth, You just live. It's open to inspection. It's a life of integrity. It can stand up to scrutiny. But he who perverts his way will be found out. If you're living a life of hidden sin, just know you're not going to be able to keep it up. Now would be the time to repent and transition over to living a life of integrity. Because if you continue down that path of sin, destruction is the final outcome. Now, as we read these things, here's a little side note, okay? We got to go fast. Little side note, though, because this is something I was always challenged with when I read Proverbs. Here's something I was was challenged He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will be found out. Can y'all think of exceptions to that you've seen in life? Like, have y'all ever known somebody who was really a truly... Like, just a ex- great example of the Christian life. And like, they died of cancer at like the age of 25. Or like you ever it, it, you also see here, ah, let's see, where was it? Proverbs 10:3: "The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but He will reject the craving of the wicked." Have you ever, like, you think through history and you're like, wow, I don't know. I I do think I can, throughout history or whatever, think of, like, some really godly people who had very bad things happen to them. Or then on the flip side, how about exceptions the other way where you're like, this person seems like a horrible person and things always seem to go great for them. Do y'all ever, y'all, so, so when I read Proverbs, I'm challenged with that. Like, that's always something when I read, or even think about, like, what it says about parenting. Like, train up a child in the way they should go, and at the end, they won't reject it. I don't know. I mean, we probably all know people who have been very godly parents, and their kids end up crazy, right? Like, so what's going on here? Well, we got to step back, because that's just a challenge to me, so I don't want to leave it un, un, unaddressed. We've got to step back here and think, what are the Proverbs? Well, the Proverbs are what they call aphorisms, okay? But essentially just observations of general truths of life. It's God saying, hey, generally speaking, this is how I've created this world to operate. But these aren't laws. Like, these aren't aren't like the gospel. The gospel laws of, which I hate to even put it that way, but like the gospel is like, here is exactly this path to salvation that God has laid out. These aren't like the like laws of gravity, but these are instead general principles to life. Which in God's providence, providence, sometimes he makes exceptions to the way that life generally operates, right? Like there are times, think about Job. Job is a great example for us where Job lived a life of integrity. Job did all these things that Proverbs would tell us to do. Yet, in God's providence, he made a choice to allow some really difficult things to come into the life of Job. Jesus Christ is the greatest example. Perfectly righteous. The only perfectly righteous human ever. Yet, God allowed something pretty horrible to come into the life of Christ. He was crucified, murdered on the cross for our salvation. So when we read Proverbs, we're not reading like guarantees of this is exactly how life will work out for you if you do these things. It's not a mathematical formula. God has instead given us general principles of wisdom to live by. And so what about exceptions? Like how should we handle exceptions then? Well, the first thing I would say is let's just be honest that God does allow exceptions, right? In God's providence, bad things happen. But here's what else I would say. Second to that is God is perfectly wise. He is perfectly loving. And you can 100% trust that. If he allows something difficult to come into your life, you can trust him that he knows exactly what he is doing, right? Like, And often, how well do we really know what's good for us? I think a lot of times we don't I think a lot of times we don't I mean who doesn't like the idea of having incredible amounts of money and like able to do almost anything you want sounds fun doesn't it but can you not see just countless examples throughout history of how horrible that has been for people There's tremendous examples throughout history. Everybody's talking about Hunter Biden right now, right? Like Hunter Biden is a terrible person and does all these terrible things. But he's also somebody who's had almost infinite access to money his whole life and no accountability. I am so grateful that God has never given me that position in life where I have almost infinite access to money and no accountability, because I am terrified I would end up like Hunter Biden, okay? Like, we don't really know what's good for us oftentimes in life. What sounds fun might not be good. God is perfectly loving, wise, holy. When he brings hard things into your life, trust him that he knows what he is doing. And third, the third thing I would say, when God brings hard things into your life, He's also going to give you the grace and the strength that you need for those things. That's why when you know somebody who's a faithful follower of Christ going through horrible, difficult things, you see them with this peace that seems to surpass understanding. And you see them with this strength. Well, it's the grace of God. God's not going to give you difficulties in life without also giving you the grace and the strength you need. So, yes, The righteous have a secure path. God is going to, in his providence and in his love for your sanctification and growth, at times allow things into your life that seem like they are a challenge to your security. But, therefore you're good. He knows how to perfectly apply them. And also from an eternal standpoint, the circumstances of this life never compromise your security in the Lord. Righteous living is a path to security. Our last one here, the righteous, the wise, they value peace. They value peace. This is getting to the relationship part that William brought up earlier. Proverbs 10.10, he who winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceal violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. The fool spreads strife and has bad relationships. The wise, the righteous, they have good relationships. Proverbs, verse 10, um, winks with the eye. What's he talking about, this winking with the eye thing? It's just somebody you never know how to take them. They're, they're not honest. Like, they're, they're always deceitful in their speech. You never know, like, can I really trust what you're telling me? They wink with the eye. They never speak plainly. The mouth of the righteous, on the other hand, is a fountain of life. Do you realize how powerful your words can be? I think we often think of that from a bad perspective, right? Like, obviously, we all know words can genuinely hurt people. But they can be the opposite. Like, your words can be a tremendous fountain of life to others. From an eternal perspective, think about evangelism. Like, that's the greatest way you can be a fountain of life, just through evangelism, sharing the gospel. Like, people can come to know Christ as their Savior. But just think about day-to-day encouraging one another. Like, life is hard. School's hard. Relationships are hard. Parents can be hard. Everything in life can be challenging from time to time. Like, if we're all honest, we all hurt often, if we're honest. Like, we don't act like it. We're always going to act like we're cool, we're put together, like everything's great. But if we're all just being honest, we all hurt often. And we all are struggling with things often. So when you see each other, just know the person you see in here and then you're talking to them that they're struggling with something. And there's something that hurts in their life because that's just part of life. And as a loving brother or sister in Christ, remember, you have the opportunity to encourage them. And you don't need to know what it is even in their life that's hurting them or what specifically is the problem. Who cares? I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. That sounds bad. You should care. But what I mean by that is you don't have to like be like, all right, William, tell me, buddy. Tell me what's hurting in your life. No, just know William's like a human like anybody else. He's probably got something challenging going on right now, like every single other person does. And just tell William, hey, I think you're awesome. I love being around you. I appreciate you. If you need anything, I'm here. Like, just look for ways to love each other and encourage each other. The wicked, are the, verse 11, the wicked conceals violence you know that they're, they're, within their heart, they're hiding hatred. The, the hatred of the wicked stirs up strife. Do you know people who just cause problems? They're jerks. They're mean to people. Like, they're, like they seem to thrive off of putting other people down. That's a wicked, evil heart. Don't be that person. The Proverbs would call you a fool whose end is destruction. All right? I mean, Proverbs talks a lot about pride. Pride comes before Destruction. Pride comes before destruction. The hatred of the wicked stirs up strife. When you see somebody who acts that way, just know they're not listening to Proverbs. Conversely, verse 12, and this is where we'll end, love covers all transgressions. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers. What was it, Matthew 6, 6? I had it here somewhere Matthew 5 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God it says in Proverbs 10 here that verse 12 love covers all transgressions what could be more godlike than just forgiving people and do people even need to seek your forgiveness for you to forgive them it's nice right like if somebody does something wrong to you it's nice for them to come up and say hey i did this to you and i'm very sorry will you forgive me and you should forgive them but be willing to forgive people even when they don't ask how much does god forgive you that you don't even ask for forgiveness of i hope a whole lot because i'm pretty sure when i get to heaven i'm going to realize that I probably only realize, like, that much of my sinfulness, you know? Like, I'm making up numbers here. I probably realize about 10% of my sinfulness. And so I'm going to need God to forgive about 90% without me even asking because I'm not even aware of it. Like, same thing in our relationships with one another. You want to be Christ-like, God-like? Forgive people when they ask for forgiveness. Forgive people when they don't even ask for forgiveness, when they don't even know they've sinned against you. Willing to forgive. So here's how we close. Three points of application here. First of all, as you go into Proverbs, I hope this just gets you more interested in Proverbs. You don't have to spend hours in it every day. You don't have to spend 20 minutes in it every day. But I think every day, it's easy to find. Halfway through the Bible, open it up, take a verse or two in, three in, absorb it, and think about it throughout the day and rely on the Holy Spirit to work through that, to work through the Word of God, to help you understand it, help you to apply it. Rely on the Holy Spirit as you learn God's Word, but learn it. Proverbs 4-7 says, with all your acquiring, get understanding. Look, some of you are really good at drawing. You worked hard at it. Some of you are really good at music. You worked hard at it. Some of you are really good at sports. You worked hard at it. Like, as humans, we naturally find things we're interested in. Video games. You're good at it. You worked hard at it. We naturally find things we want to acquire more of and build. What Proverbs says is, look, that's human nature, but with all that you're working hard at and diligently at in life, make sure understanding God's word is at the top of that list. Like, it doesn't make any sense for you to work really hard at Fortnite and then be like, eh, I don't care about God's word. It doesn't make any sense for you to work really hard at physics and academics and your SAT or ACT or whatever test you're taking these days, scores, or really hard in athletics. It doesn't make really sen- any sense for you to work really hard in anything and negligent about the word of God. If you're going to be a hard worker, and you should be, make sure God's word is at the very top of that list. And lastly, you're going to fall short, okay? You're human. You're not always going to act wisely. You're not always going to act obediently. Even with a sincere effort, that's where the gospel comes in. Trust in the grace and mercy of God to cover your shortcomings. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Don't let Proverbs, you, it, God doesn't intend for Proverbs to beat you down and discourage you. It should be an encouragement. Wise living in the Spirit, absolutely possible for a disciple of Christ. And when you fall short, as you inevitably will, as we all do, trust in the mercy and grace that we have through Jesus Christ to cover the shortcomings. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you so much. You give us your word and you speak to us plainly, and you speak to us in every aspect of our lives so that we can know you and know how to love you and honor you and glorify you and also just how to live lives of well-being as your disciples on this earth. I pray that you'd give us a passion for that, a love for one another, and help us as we go to the next service to focus on worshiping you and glorifying you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.